Good evening, Patriots. And it is the end of Friday. In the, I guess it's 24th of the month. I can't believe how fast February has gone. I had to think about that a minute. We're already at the end. It's going to end like next week. And believe it or not, the world is still here, which is incredible. I wasn't sure we were going to make it through February at one point. Looks like we're going to keep lingering on in this insanity. But that's all right. We'll get through it all one way or the other. Because <laughs> God has this and we're on a crazy ride right now, I'll tell you. Patriots, whatever you do, make sure you are taking good care of your stocks at home and preparing for what is to come. One of those things we have to be aware of is truly our food supply. Patriots, do you feel like the world is being held together with duct tape and bailing wire? It sure seems like it. Every day, we're thrown new distractions by the fake news to pull us from the reality we're all about to face. Between the government trying to print their way out of debt, global military conflicts, and a looming food shortage, preparedness is no longer a choice. It's a necessity. In times like these, you can trust My Patriot Supply. Their three-month emergency food kit comes packed with tasty, and I mean tasty, meals with over 2,000 calories per day. And right now, you'll automatically get $200 in free survival gear with each kit you order. These products will save the day when crisis comes, and it's coming soon. Self-reliance is our only option. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and get $200 worth of free survival essentials with your three-month emergency food kit. Everything is in stock and ready to go, with free shipping too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com before the next disaster strikes. MyPatriotSupply.com. Patriots, as I have said, food security is the foundation for personal sovereignty. Check it out today. It is indeed Food security. I hope everybody's growing food and getting your gardens ready. We started seeds last week and put them in the new compost that I created over this last year, used the new compost in the new seed trays. And those seeds germinated in literally three days, and they're already starting to grow beyond the, the starter tops. So we have a plastic kind of like little starter tops that go over these things. They're nice trays. They're about 24 per tray. And it's growing like crazy. I couldn't believe it, how well they're growing. So it's just fantastic. Getting ready, we're building a, a um, tunnel over the couple of the beds so we can get early start on some of these things like greens, which are great. We had kale endure the winter completely. And, and I have only read about this. I've never let push my kale this long. And they're like small trees. I'm not exaggerating. The kale is up. About four feet tall, and this the stalk has grown like a small tree up, and it continues to blossom with new kale at top. So, pretty amazing. All about food, which is what we talked about last hour, but I want to dig into this a little differently here. Let me start with this. It's an interesting quote. Or in, it's in 1 Corinthians 8. And we're going to go through this first of all. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has yet to know, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world. 
and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom we all things and we exist for him, and the one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend, commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed by idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding the conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. One of the things that I want to start out with that, it's kind of a, we're going to get more into food in a minute because really it's about what's within us as we're going to read about in Mark 7 in a minute. But one of the things I find very interesting right now is the cycling of idols. And I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, but it's, it's pretty crazy. President Trump had became an idol of an unbelievable level, still is. And we saw as he kind of stepped away from the limelight with the stolen election, people were literally lost and still are. They keep trying to project when he's going to come back. And even with his return, so to speak, to East Palestine. And I commend him for doing that and bringing water and seeing to it. But it was as if everything people needed to believe in was returned to them. These things really disturb me. I mean, I just, by my nature, I'm very anti-idol. It's literally like God's put on my heart. When someone talks about idols, it's just like I almost, I just go vicious against it. And it's always the question I have is, all of the time that we spend worshiping idols, I've never seen people come out in East Palestine, for example, all coming together to get on their knees and pray to the Lord. But we did see people come out in mass to meet President Trump. When Elon Musk took out Jack Dorsey or replaced and bought Twitter, he became another fashionable idol. Everybody looked to him to single-handedly save and preserve free speech, which we've now seen as nothing but a lie. And then we see the latest, which is O'Keefe from Project Veritas. And you see all these videos, and it struck me today because there's this whole thing about stand with O'Keefe. I stand with O'Keefe. Like those crazy other people going, I stand with idols or I stand with Ukraine. Imagine if instead of every time some human being stepped away from office or took into a position, we stood with Jesus or we stood with God. Father God, not 
just God. Because there's so much distortion on that alone, we have to be pretty clear. The one God, the true God, the God of hosts. Idolatry is deeply part of our culture. When we saw the Damar incident, when he fell on the field, people prayed. How short their prayer memory was by the next game when they're celebrating and cheering him instead of praising Jesus for his return. And this is a constant problem that I think is a repeating cycle for a reason. Because I think this is, again, a threshing floor of sorts. We're beginning to see where God is truly, God is able to witness truly where we are and where the nation is. Idols are a deeply corruptive piece. And it's truly what gets within us and inside of us. And as we start to worship in idols, we start to worship many other things and don't even realize. 1 Corinthians 8 really lays out another suggestive element in here. And this is just an added interpretation to what's here, but the part of idolatry as it gets into people, food becomes an idolatry. And that idolatry falls within us to such a deep degree that we begin to see food not as an extension of God's hand, but as something we actually cherish and worship. It's just, again, it's just another level of idolatries. And it's because idolatries are part of how this culture works. Our country was literally built with God on the throne and we're below it. And government subordinate to the wills of the people. And we're at the foot of God. And again, as I've talked about so many times, the, the, one of the greatest parts for me in reading the Declaration of Independence is that second paragraph. Because, and the first part of that second paragraph, because it is so absolutely clear that what we had done and what our founding fathers had done is that our founding fathers had literally told the world, given the world a big middle finger and said, we're going to put the real king above us, not a human king. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the cons- consent of the governed. That first, those first couple sentences are truly profound in the time and even now that there is no idol here that our rights were endowed to us by God, the one true God, and that we as the people of this nation chose a government to be subordinate to our wills and our desires based on our relationship to God, which is moral law. There was no idols. It was not intended to be any idols. Now it's a race every time we get into an election to see who the latest and greatest idol is going to be. Now, I'll tell you, it's, it's wonderful to see, on one hand, President Trump go out and meet the people in East Palestine. They felt very alone, very disconnected. But I always ask the same question. Why do people feel so alone and so isolated? And I, and it's, and I struggle with this, and I, we, always, we probably come to the same answer. If you don't have a relationship with the living God, 
you don't have a deep and intimate relationship in Christ, you're going to feel very alone. And I think this is the problem is we, we talk about seeking God, but we don't talk about putting ourselves and eyes on God and seeking his face. Seeking, this is how I see seeking. You drop a watch on your hike. You don't know where in the forest it is. You have no clue. You just kind of know where your hike is, but you know your hike went all over the mountain. So you go back out into the mountain and you start randomly looking for your watch, hoping that you'll stumble upon it. And you know in that, in that walk in the forest that you had that you went off the trail and on the trail and you can't really remember exactly where you went off and on, but you just start walking and hoping that you'll see the watch. The interesting piece is that when we are seeking God, in my opinion, we are doing the same thing. When we say those words, and words have the power of life and death, we are literally we are literally walking randomly in the forest. But all we have to do is look within our heart because God lives within us. And, and I find these things amazing because we have built a construct and, and a framework where in the process of looking, and somehow not knowing, we end up in this strange place where we seek to replace that relationship and that relationship with God with idols. We are in such a strange moment in time here where every single time somebody steps off we throw somebody else in. They do, not us. And people run for it. And the worship of things becomes so profound that we don't worship our Father. We don't put our eyes on Him. Imagine a world where everybody had eyes on Father. I mean, truly like listening to everything He said and learning to hear Him. It's a process because it's not just a booming voice or a presence of Christ before us. Sometimes it's a nudge on the heart and responding to that and just trusting that that's God in there and learning to discern in those moments of what's God and what's yourself. And that's just a process of trial and error and a lot of prayer. But as we do that and we become more attuned and more acute to how God's voice works with us and each of us, imagine a world where we work that way. What would affect you, each of us, what would affect you if you're listening to God and what's before you was nothing that God told you to worry about? If each person has that and was in that place, none of this nonsense we're currently dealing with would have any reach or touch on us. But every time we put something before us and we chase after it, they're controlling our destiny. And we're doing it with our free will. God has a very profound plan for each and every one of us. And that profound place and plan has to be heard for us to execute. And unfortunately, we are, th- we are those that are literally worshiping the food as an idol rather than tasting the food as the sweet reward of following Father. As the food comes into before us, we see the steak, we see the, the potato, and we race after that. 
instead of walking with God and realizing he'll provide whatever is needed before us. And when it is, we simply bless him and keep moving. And that's culturally a big paradigm shift we're going to have to make as we move forward here. Idols are a major barrier to our acceptance in Christ. And idols are literally everywhere. Like I said, sports is the probably the biggest control element in this entire in this entire culture. And every time I see, you know, eighty thousand people at a, bas- a football game or thirty thousand, sixty thousand, it's always the same question to me: Why can't we pull that many people in to celebrate Christ? Because Christ doesn't isn't a bunch of guys in tights playing with balls. Or, or Christ isn't a bunch of guys in tight shorts kicking balls? Or throwing balls? I mean, that, that's literally what it comes down to. And in that process of the intense worship of the excitement, the adrenaline, the bread and circuses of the event, none of our heart is there in presence with Jesus. I'm not saying no sports. Be clear about this, because this is always, you'll get to these places and people being like, oh, what are you saying? Like, we shouldn't have any sports. No, I didn't say any of that. But I do say that the worship has to stop. I've lived in one town, one city, that was a true football city, Philadelphia. Lived there for a couple of years. It was an interesting observation for me, because I'd never lived in a Super Bowl or like a, a pro team city especially one like Philly. If you know Philly, I mean, they are obsessed about the Eagles. Win or lose, these people are out tailgating. They live their entire life in preparation for the next season. The amount of gear, the amount of money they put into their, their tailgating stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's endless. Cigar rooms open up with special days for the game. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. The bars, there's so many small bars in Philadelphia in the little quarters around the town, around the city. Everybody's just boomed about the game. It's like the whole world stops. There's never a there's never moment to stop that whole city for Christ. But there's plenty of time to stop that city for men in tights playing with balls. I don't think it's any mystery or coincidence that Philadelphia is literally one of the armpits of the world right now. It's the place where there are literally true zombies walking the streets. And that place where you see those footage of people taking these new drugs like Trank. Trank is a new one. It's a vet. It's a veterinarian tranquilizer that people are mixing and taking. And they're literally, it's not only eating flesh as it does, but they're literally walking around like living zombies. That, that location, I think it's Wellington, if I'm not mistaken. That district is right behind Fishtown, which is where I lived. It's about, it was about two and a half blocks. It began about two and a half blocks from where I lived. And I lived on the nice side, and that like two and a half blocks later, you're under the L, which is their elevated rail, and you're walking in amongst that. It's a city that's lost its soul. And the greatest irony is that's where our first capital was in the nation. It was truly originally a, a city built by on the principles under William Penn 
of a city based on moral law, to love thy neighbor. Today it is built on screw thy neighbor, rape thy neighbor, and lose yourself in thy drugs your neighbor gives you. It has no heart for God. Worse is that the city comes together in a strange way. Every football game. But it can't come together at the foot of Jesus. When we see these things, it's important for us, I believe, to really reflect deeply on them. We're in a time right now where I believe that much of where we're going, and I, I don't I shouldn't just say I, because there's much there's much prophecy and there's much discussion about where we're going. But I mean, as I'm seeing things, we're heading into a time when things are going to get very dark. I don't know what that looks like. I definitely don't call it end of times, but I definitely do call it a moment in time that there is a form of judgment being placed upon this nation. And the only thing that I can see that will revive it is a remnant that has the power to literally keep their eyes on the cross as a symbolism to eyes on God, eyes on our Lord Jesus, and not waver. When we're walking on this narrow path. When we start moving ourselves and walking in ourselves and, and falling to the traps of our own idols, we fall off that path. And again, we start to seek God, but God's in our heart. And as we dig deep into our relationship with Father, and find that he is present with us anytime and all the time that we want. All we have to do is reach, trust, and listen. Those are pretty profound and simple paths, but we make it very complicated. You know, it's just kind of an additional commentary on Philadelphia. It's another point in one of my contentions with the way the modern church works. We are so eager to send people abroad on mission work. Send them to Africa, send them to China, wherever else, send them to South America, because I think it's fashionable. I think people feel like they're doing good because they don't want to look in their backyard and they don't want to look in the mirror and see where we sit. I met two guys when I was down in Glad Tidings Church, I guess it was about three months ago down in Yuba City. They had come in, just arrived. They were from San Jose originally, San Jose, California. But they had been called to go do mission work in Chicago. And they had just returned from a month of working with the inner city gangs and doing engagements every single day in some of the highest crime districts and highest shooting districts to bring people to Christ. That's mission work for me. Because we haven't cleaned up our own house. And so much of that comes always from our obsession to look somewhere else. And that's an idolatry. Our, our, we want to see President Trump come in. We want to celebrate him. He's in East Palestine. Oh, Mr. President, you're here, you're here, you're here. I put this out as just a question that has no answer because we haven't seen it happen. But what would have happened in the midst of this entire fiasco in East Palestine 
instead of first running to social media and then throwing up your anger into the sky and then running to a gathering of hundreds with President Trump, what would have happened if that town had taken a knee and together sang him in prayer and praised the Lord and asked for miraculous healing into the city? These are things we have to consider because this is where the ebb and flow of the, of the battle is. And it's how we shift the tide. All the clues of our battle in our battle manual, the Bible, are there. Jericho was a city to be sieged, but they spent seven days and seven times on the seventh day walking the city, singing him and praising, and then the walls fell. And there's no document of them being waylaid by oils or hot oil or feces, which is a classic siege, counter-siege framework of, of warfare. None of that happened. We haven't seen, we didn't see a movement. And again, I'm not, and these are not criticisms as they're observations and hopefully lessons learned for us. How many Trump rallies of 50, 60, 80,000 people spent more time in prayer than they did listening to President Trump talk about himself and criticizing the media and talking about the deep state or whatever else, or Hillary or whatever was on his topic that day. But these rallies had such potential to bring people together, to literally praise the Lord, sing together, pray together. And while we'd like to say things like, well, there was prayer, there was singing, and we find these little snippets, right? But I look at the length of time and the duration of time. And I talked about this in the last hour, but I'm, when we think about food, what is the first thing we think about when we say food? Do we think of food as a physical item, like that steak and that potato? Or do we think first about food being the word, the scripture, the relationship with God that feeds our soul? And the reason I bring this up is it's a very interesting exercise if you walk yourself through. If you focus on us being a physical body that's going to heaven, I argue that the first thing you will see is food is the physical item first and prayer and the word second. But if you see yourself as a as spiritual first, occupying a physical body, then the first nourishment you will always seek is in the word of the Lord, in praise and worship to him. And therefore what becomes of that and what follows that is the nurturing of the actual food, of the physical food. Let me read Mark 7, 14 to 23, the heart of man. After he called the crowd to him, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said, 
Are you so lacking in understanding also? By the way, I just, I love that because that's such an intense rebuke. And it was an expectation Jesus had at that moment that they would actually understand and they didn't. So to continue, and he said, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he also, and he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. In that one passage, we see where the priority of life sits. That we must nurture and feed the spiritual before anything else. That we must be cognizant of how healthy our heart is which constitutes everything around us of how we proceed to see the world. We are so conditioned in this world that the mind leads the body. But again, back to Mark 7, it is the heart that leads the body. It is the mind that is the corrupter. Hence the reason so much of this war right now is being waged against your thoughts and against my thoughts. We're in an information war, a psyop, because we're, they're being pressured to have the mind overrule the heart. And as the mind overrules the heart, the thoughts of wickedness, corruptness, of, of hatred, of division, the, hearts, the thoughts of envy and idolatry, the thoughts of obsession, all become the food that ends up feeding the soul rather than the heart and the richness of wealth that the word gives us. So much around our world is framed around the physical and it's by design of those in power because they know very well that's not the case. I find it interesting just to note, I've said this before and it's, it's worth mentioning again, is how loyal these Satanists are to their father of lies. Hand signs, ritualistic number systems, the way they do things on a clock, they never deviate. Why is that? Because they understand that through his spiritual sense, they gain power. And by being obedient through the spiritual side, they gain power in the physical. Where do we see that obedience in, in the Christians? And it's rare. When we look at a profile of the United States, 86, this is a, a 86 percent of the people love family and love their country. This is a study I just saw, and we'll be talking a lot more about it in the weeks to come. One of the finest studies ever done across America that did not try to profile a study by race, gender, sex, whatever. 
But it comes out to a constant 86% of Americans love their country and love family and are willing to die for it. In a very, the part of the family that's important there is even though it's not designated whether these are people that follow Christ, they are walking in a moral place that's basically walking on the edge of the body of Christ. They're, they're unified in the body of Christ. They just haven't acknowledged Jesus yet. And yet we are sitting here in a time when those priorities, that those emphasis are washed away by the craziness of bread and circuses. Maybe it's some maybe it's a new Walmart ad. I mean, look at the number of people that watch the Super Bowl just to see the advertisements. It's a Walmart ad or it's a it's the latest fashion trend you have to be part of. It's it's the latest sports team, the latest play, the latest video. All of these things are distractors to draw us away in our mind to priorities and influence our thoughts that will ultimately try to override our heart. And yet Jesus tells us that that is where the heart of the man is. It's who we become is through our heart. And that's where God lives. Isn't that amazing? Lives within our heart. And yet we don't value and protect it. We don't nurture it and feed it. I was thinking today, it came up the other day as a comment made that someone said, I really like your Jeep. And I love driving the Jeep, but it's not my Jeep. God gave me that Jeep. And I've prayed on every single thing about that Jeep. And I've been given the right to do the things that I've done to just make some modifications here or there. But it's God's Jeep. I steward the Jeep. But it's a semantic thing that's important. If someone asks you about, how's your car? Do you think when you say that, do you immediately consider like, oh yeah, that's my car, I paid for it, I did this or that, or do you think of it in terms of this? No, it's God's car. God provided me the resources or an ability to get it. I'm using the resources that God gave me to pay it off if you have a loan. And do you frame it that way? It may seem small, but as just like when we look at the stake and we see the stake, we don't see the spiritual first and the nurturing of the spirit and then realize that God blessed us with what's before us. And it really doesn't matter what the food is because the food fulfills us as God needs us to be fulfilled physically. But what the real nourishment is spiritually. It's interesting when we think back to Moses and wandering the desert and manna, how people became, how they became frustrated and they wanted meat and how many died after eating it. Mana was the nourishment that God provided physically. And in the end, one could argue that what he was leading them to do was to find the spiritual nourishment and not worry about the food because the food would sustain them as they needed to be sustained as they grew to understand that the true nourishment was in the spirit and in a relationship with him.
this is just such an important piece in our time and our place where we are. And it is so important for us to move forward in these ways, to lean into God deeper, to show others what that's like. Another example, you talk about fasting. And you say to somebody, I'm going to fast for 28 days or 30 days or 40 days or a week. And you'll hear, I, I can't imagine that I can't live without food. Even you'll say that to some people and say, I can't, I can't go more than two days or three days. And, I, and that's the truth, I believe, because their focus, their idle focus on this is the physical food not realizing that as we step away and we turn to God, he nourishes us in the spirit to make the body stronger. But when we're dependent on the physical food, the actual food, it becomes a crutch, a dependency in such a way that we see the food as impossible to live without it. Take the food away, and it's a cliff that some people can't, can't climb, or it's a chasm that some people can't get across. But when we put our eyes on God, we're looking at him truly, eyes on him before the throne, not seeking him. We find the strength in the relationship with Father. We are truly before the throne. And I would argue that is exactly where he wants us. He doesn't want us wandering. We already did that game, even though as a culture we are. He wants to see us with him before him. He wants to walk with us, be with us. There is a story I heard when I was back east. It's just along these lines. It was a great story. It's a pastor that went out and played golf regularly. He's an avid golfer, very good golfer too. But when he played, he'd play two balls every time. One for him and one for God. And this is the crazy. He would set up and play the ball, his ball, and then he would set the other one up, and that would be God's ball, and he would let God lead him to play. And every single time, God beat him. God's ball beat him. God beat him. It's pretty amazing. It's an amazing story, but it's an amazing focus on that walk with him and understanding in a very simple sense, the difference between us in this world and walking with God in this world. What nurtures us? It's the relationship first and foremost with Jesus. It's that nurturing food that feeds our soul. It's not the physical things in this world. It's not the idols of worship that are so prevalent around us. And it's the traps we have to be so cognizant of. And this latest thing with Project Veritas and O'Keefe, it just, it just cracks me up because it's, and that was the first thing I saw today. It's like, why aren't we saying people saying, I stand with Jesus? We've got, I stand with Ukraine. I stand with O'Keefe. I stand with, I don't know who else, who knows? I stand with Trump. I stand with Elon Musk, I guess. I'm waiting for that moment when the world says, I stand with Jesus. When stadiums fill to say, we stand with Jesus. 
when people come together to break bread and to celebrate a day just randomly, to celebrate a birthday or to celebrate a moment, whatever it is. I'm going to go buy a cake. Why? I'm going to go get some bread. Why? I'm going to go get I'm going to get a meal and takeout. I'm going to invite friends over. Why? Because I just want to have a moment to celebrate Jesus. I don't want to turn the TV on. I'm going to light up the barbecue and I'm going to cook the great a bunch of ribs. What's the occasion? I'm going to celebrate Jesus. And we're so conditioned to think that, well, it has to be Super Bowl Sunday or it's got to be Easter or it's got to be Fourth of July or it's got to be some reason to have a tailgater. What could be a greater reason than at any moment in time to celebrate Jesus? So I'm just encouraging this and just some perspectives tonight to think about. Things that I've been on my heart since I left the East Coast on what was a really good week and perspectives for us to look at. I'll, I'll crush idols anytime. I have no problem with it. And I'm going to, I'll crush disunity and fake separation deceptions that are going within there because we are all part of the body of Christ. And I'll equally stand and crush true evil. But right now, we need so much to feed our soul. We need so much to start our day, to begin every meal, to begin every moment we walk with the understanding that it isn't in this world that we're worried about. It's the strength of the soul and the connection with Father God that leads us in everything we do. And when we step into that place and truly walking with him, all this other nonsense it's nonsense. It's noise. It's just a buzzkill to, to walk around in this world and see all these crazy headlines. and It's just like, whatever. And that's part of keeping us away from him. As I talked near the end of the show last hour, I'll talk again now. In the principle of sowing seeds, physically doing it, growing a garden. We literally set the foundation for a true parable to come to life. To sow seeds and watch them grow is about experiencing life in a very critical way of what's important. It nurtures as it grows in a medium of soil we too have to feed ourselves in, a, in our medium of soil. And that medium of soil that we are in is that of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that's the place that needs the most work. There's not a person in this world that can't go 30 days without food. But there's plenty of people that can go 30 days without feeding the Spirit once. And that's why we're at where we're at. When we reverse that and realize that we cannot survive without feeding the Spirit, that we can survive without feeding the belly, then we get the true paradigm shift of all time. And our eyes turn to where they need to be. They turn to our Father. And there within begins the greatest 
transformation, and true revival we have ever seen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together, and thank you for all that you give. Thank you for the blessings that you shower upon us. and Thank you for this life that we have. Father, as we sit here and reflect tonight, it's truly a profound reflection on what is the true food that we need to be focused on and what's the true worship we need to put our eyes on. We've stumbled heavily in this time, navigating through a maze of things, but somehow always falling on the physical side of things. We're quick to race to worship an idol of humankind. We're quick to race to an idol to worship in a uniform or a sports team. We're not quick to turn our eyes to you and begin our process of worship there, the only place our eyes should be. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us in our hearts where we repent for those deviations that we have done and give us this clarity, the ears, the eyes to see and hear, to understand that we are spiritual beings in a physical body that need to begin by feeding the soul before we feed anything else. And as we put more emphasis on that, you know what will happen to us. The worries of this world will fall away. The fears of this world will be shed. Our strength in this world will grow mightier. Our understanding of who we are will grow greater. Our ability to walk in the power of kingdom will begin to grow beyond our imagination. And the dependency upon the physical world will begin to diminish. All that by beginning an understanding that our eyes need to be on you and that the first feeding, the first worship, the first nurturing always needs to come through our relationship in you. Guide us, Father. And Jesus, touch each and every heart to bring them to that place of understanding the greatness and mightiness of heaven and kingdom in yourself, the true passion of love and what it is to conquer all. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I would encourage a number of things for you to ponder on. Fasting is a good way to start, even if it's a few days. But to do a fast and to realize that once we take our eyes off the food and the worry of the food and the physical body, then we start to free ourselves from some of the crutches and dependencies of this world. Now, I just because this is a show across the entire web, I have to say, if you're going to fast and you have any concerns about this, this is a recommendation. It is not told to do so, and I'm not a doctor. I don't wear a white coat. I'm not a, a medical professional. So if you need to seek medical guidance, whatever that means, I just talk to God. That's where I begin. It's probably a better place to start. But there you go. Disclaimer given. Seek out where God leads you. Nurture the soul. Feed it well. Cast out the idols. 
enjoy the entertainment as entertainment. Don't make it an obsession of worship. And when we get to that place, you know, even when we see films and so forth that are kind of like the normal Hollywood garbage, when we're walking in spirit, we know when to disengage or to engage. We know what we want to see and what we don't want to see. We can just walk away. It doesn't affect us. But when we're living in the physical body and we're letting all that garbage get in our head, yeah, that's a problem. The body is run by the heart, not the brain. But the war is on your thoughts because the thoughts that are more powerful than the heart, when the heart is weakened, dominate the body and corrupt that which should be the most sacred place, which is the heart and the connection to God. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you on Sunday night. Have a very blessed weekend. Until then, or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest end. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body.
to feel.